Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. Well, happy. Uh, it's funny that that was the question that Mark presented because may, perhaps unbeknownst to him, uh, it's National Coffee Day. So, <laughs> it is National Coffee Day. And so if you are looking to get a free coffee of some sort, Tim Hortons and Starbucks is offering a, a variety of different uh, promotions. I think you have to spend like 50 cents at Tim Hortons to get like a free coffee or something. So two, Tim, two Timbits and a coffee for 50 cents or something of the sort. So happy National Coffee Day for some of you. That is a more momentous day than for others. Um, I know that some of you find it to be that was a very difficult question to ask answer because that was your automatic answer to that question. Coffee. And coffee alone. We did find a solution to the problem though. We just simply said caffeine. And so for some of you that means <laughs> a can of Red Bull and that is sufficient. But I'm excited to be here with you this morning. We are starting a new series called Essentials here at City Collective. And it is going to be an exciting four weeks for us to walk through what I think are four key essentials that in the Christian faith and it's easy to isolate them to specifically what it means to be a Christian, but I think they actually have a lot to do what it, to what it means to be human. Um, the idea of worship, the idea of prayer, the idea of the Bible, and the idea of outreach, um, those are specific bits of language that are part of what it means to be a Christian. But I think that worship, the prayers that we, we give up in our moments of need, are our core sources of material that are outlining areas of our life and the way that we live outside of ourselves, those are just part of being human. So wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith this morning, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, not really sure what you think about this whole Jesus thing, I hope that this has been already a meaningful experience for you, that you've met somebody that has warmly greeted you with a handshake or with a hug and you've gotten a cinnamon bun and a cup of coffee on National Coffee Day. Our is free every week, though, I just like to say that. So... (laughs) But it's been a good experience for you already this morning. And... As we dive into this conversation this morning, we're talking about worship. I would invite you to to open up your heart to the idea of what could that look like? What would that mean in more than just a church experience? What would that actually look like outside of the parameters of a building that is specifically dedicated to a church or or a moment in a week that is specifically dedicated to having amazing musicians and singers on the stage leading us in in a chorus or in a moment where we gather on a consistent basis. And nothing is wrong with this. I think this is incredibly wonderful, the fact that it's a smaller band this week on the week that we're talking about worship. Because, because worship is, is so much more than simply the music that's being played or the, the breath of the band or how it's done. We want to do things well and you want to do them with excellence because we want to give our very best unto God. But if we isolate worship to simply being that, we are missing out on the true beauty that I think we're invited to by Jesus. So I'm going to read a couple scriptures with us and then we are going to jump right into things uh, We're going to start in Proverbs 4, verse 23, and it says this. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And Isaiah 29, 13 
says, The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. Seems incredibly harsh, but I I love the potency of it. And then John chapter 4, this is Jesus speaking in verses uh, 21 through 24. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. Salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshiper will, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. and Those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Wonderful. Question for you this morning. Have you, have you ever said something and have had it interpreted to mean something else? <laughs> Maybe it's uh, in a relationship or in a marriage, in, in a friendship or with a sibling where you say it one way. And perhaps we're going to give you the benefit of the doubt. You meant it that way. And it was interpreted slightly different. I think we all have those moments. And because language is sometimes difficult. And I think specifically the English language can be a difficult thing in how we communicate with one another. Uh, It's funny. When you sometimes talk to a a child and you use the language that you're normally using on on a regular day basis. uh, And you'll say something and the little one will respond with like this very blunt, very straight statement, and you're like, oh, that's not what I meant at all. <laughs> because we were so used to using hyperbole and, and using metaphors and using slang and how we communicate with one another, and they're just like straight and to the point. <laughs> but the English language is interesting because it communicates in different ways using the same words. Right? I've heard this from a lot of uh, new English speakers when they're trying to learn the English language, that they find it incredibly frustrating. That there are words that are the same, the same, spelled the same, sorry, that they sound the same, but yet they have different meanings in different contexts. For example, uh, it's not just that they have different meanings, but they have opposite meanings to one another. So the word custom, well, you have a custom, you have a tradition. But then you can also get your car done as a custom job so it's brand new and it's one of a kind. So the word custom is both one of a kind and a tradition. Uh, if, if you're saying that you just left from somewhere, you've departed from that place, but you can also say that you left something behind, that you left something remained there, something's departed and something's remained. It's opposite, but it's the same word. And then the word bound is an interesting one because you can say that I was bound by something and it's restraining you, it's holding you back, but you can say I'm onward bound, I'm going somewhere. Words that have opposite meanings but are spelled the same, that are, are communicated in the same mannerism, it it can be very confusing. And in some ways, I think that the idea of worship and the things that we do around worship in in the church can sometimes be the same. (laughs) Where, Where we use language that means one thing to us, but yet it means something so dramatically different to those around us. I came across this, uh, this photo on Instagram this week, 
uh, from Andy Stanley. He's a pastor in the States. And it was, talk, it was a diagram outlining the different ways in which we put our hands in the air. So it outlines that preachers, they say, are you with me? But a DJ, oh, he also says that. Uh, preachers, they all say, as God is my witness. Mom also says that. Bank robbers say everyone on the floor. DJs also say that. I sometimes think that preachers sometimes say that. <laughs> Bank robbers say, I'm not asking twice. Mom says that. But I think like preachers can say that too. It's not the, the nicest photo in the world. I just thought it was fascinating that we have these different ways in which we think about the same thing. That if we all say, put your hands in the, in the air, it is going to mean something different to each person in the room based upon who may be communicating it or who's saying it. I think it's fascinating that that's the way we think. That's the way we interact. So no wonder, no wonder, if you've never been in a church service before, no wonder you find worship to be weird. <laughs> and to be this odd experience when you see people in a room raising their hands, you've never actually come into contact with it before. No wonder it comes across and it communicates something that maybe is not intended to. But it means something different to you based on your own experience. So we see hands lifted and, and, and we, we hear specific prompts and we're familiar with a certain feeling or a certain sound. And, and I, I will say this, in our pursuit of obedience, of, of trying to do the right thing, that we desire to have a d deeper and a closer relationship with God that is part of pursuing a relationship with Jesus is this element of worship. And we do want to engage in these spaces where it's music driven and there is a communal element to it. But sometimes I think we mischaracterize worship purely around the manner and method in which it is done. And we are missing the mark when we do so. Because I would like to advocate that worship is the outward expression of your heart's affection. And if we're being honest, that is far more than simply a Christian statement. Worship is the outward expression of your heart's affection. But tell me, what do you think of when, when I say the word heart? Uh, is, it, is it literally just the, like an emoji heart? Is it, is it a broken heart? Heart? Is it an anatomically correct heart with valves and ventricles that go through your brain? What, what comes to mind when I say the word heart? I think the heart, heart matters a lot when we're talking about the idea of worship. The Bible actually outlines the idea of heart over 800 times. The Bible says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus reiterates that statement in the New Testament. The psalmist writes, create within me a clean heart and re restore my soul. Renew a right spirit within me. That's what the psalmist writes about the heart. In Ezekiel it says, take my stony, stubborn heart and turn it into a tender, reflective one. And then Solomon writes in the Proverbs, he says, Above all else, guard your hearts. 
So I think our, our, the way we, we perceive and the way we picture our hearts is fascinating because we often think of our hearts as, yes, it is an anatomical feature. It is an organ in our body. But in reality, you're not functioning with thoughts and with feeling out of this, this organ right here. I believe I'm putting my hand on the right, correct side. <laughs> there's, there's more to it. So I would like to see we have the picture of the heart like this, maybe a broken heart, maybe an anatomically correct heart. But I would like to think that actually our heart is more like the bridge of a Star Wars battleship. Let's toss that one up. Something like this. This is kind of what I picture is the, what our heart is looking like. But more, more accurately, perhaps it looks something like this, where it's, it's closer to a variety of things taking place on the battleship of your heart. And at the helm is Darth Vader or whomever or whatever you choose to put as the captain of your heart. Because what's interesting is out of the heart comes so many different elements of our, of our lives, our, our character, our will, our thought, our intellect, our, our conscience, our our feelings, our emotions. So they're almost like all of those little men in their little cubicles pressing all those little buttons are all those different feelings and thoughts and emotions, those different elements of our personalities and our lives that we're experiencing that are outward expressions of who we are are those little men in their little spots. But the man on the top, the person on the top, that thing that is the captain of your ship is the one actually calling the shots. And often when we look at our lives and we're experiencing a, a flux of emotions, unrest in our stories, whether it's a breakdown in relationship that causes us to feel a certain way or a, a loss of a job that causes us to harbor hurt towards someone else. We have different things that we experience on a day-to-day -day basis. And often those are purely symptomatic. And we're not aware of what the core source issue is. Because we don't actually know who is running the ship. Who's actually the captain of our heart. So in, in a world where we are perpetually attempting to decipher our emotional communication and, and language can be confusing and relationships are difficult and there's tension around it, I believe that we can make this statement and it's completely universal, is that we all worship something. Better yet, we're always worshiping something. 1 Corinthians 10.31 and Colossians 3.17, they outline this idea that all of life is an act of worship. The question is, where are you choosing to direct that worship? Worship is the outward expression of your heart's affection. See, you need the right commander on the bridge of your heart because the commander doesn't just provide direction. The commander provides vision. The Bible says, oh, magnify the Lord, a.k.a. worship with me. It doesn't mean that when we worship 
God gets bigger, it means that our vision of him gets bigger in our spaces of worship. That he begins to occupy the spaces of unrest and spaces of of hurt that are in our lives. And praise and worship does something to the way that we actually perceive God. It magnifies him. It draws him closer to us. Whether we are actually fighting for it or not, when we turn our attention to him, our focus begins to magnify a God that is already bigger than our situation. Now the concept of worship, it's it's an interesting one for us and how we think in our modern day conversation, especially in the church. I think uh, this, when we were talking about Dealing with worship, I had all these fascinating thoughts of what, what does worship look like over the course of my life? And often it's in spaces like this that I would quantify as worship. And Christians do these really odd things in worship sometimes. We do weird stuff. And so there's this comedian that kind of outlines all these different hand positions that you have in worship. He's, like, he's got like the big screen worship. He's got the Jesus is number one worship. He's like, this is how big my fish was I caught worship. He's got, he's got the beauty, beauty queen worship. He's got the high five worship. He's got the Jen Johnson, like you're smelling your armpits worship. Uh, he's got the wash the window worship. The slice the veggies worship. The block the shot worship. And, and this, we do these things. And they're funny because we can, like, picture people in our lives doing them. Or people in this room. Or me doing them. Because we do these funny hand gestures. And these odd things in these moments of worship. And I think sometimes we get so into it. And we've got the way that we do things. And it's great. But also, there are moments in the way we worship that we're doing it for the wrong reasons. That we're, we're really trying hard to get God's attention. Because tragically, so often Christianity has been reduced to some kind of formula where people believe that God exists for us. That if we just do the right thing, and if we pray the right prayer, and if we act the right way, and if we do the right hand gesture, then God's going to come down and he's going to do whatever we want him to do. And it's kind of like he's, he's a genie that if we do the hand gesture enough times and we rub the lamp, he's going to pop out and he's going to give us the three bit wishes that we so deeply desire in our heart. Your wish is my command. And literally, we reduce God to a cosmic Coke machine. If you put your coin in, if you push a button, say a prayer, do a devotion, make sure you post your Instagram picture of your devotion by a cup of coffee so everybody will know you just how spiritual you are. Do something nice for someone. Don't flip anybody off while you're driving. And worship a little harder this week. Perhaps then God is going to answer your prayers because he exists to make your life better. But that is not why God exists. He does not exist simply to make your life better. He exists to have relationship with you. And and we exist for him. To be drawn close to him. To have, have a deep and intimate relationship with him. And I, and I love our community. But I believe that God wants more of us. In our hearts towards him in worship. Because worship is not a question of your hand position or song selection. Worship is about the heart. 
It is an outward expression of your heart's affection, or better yet, your heart's occupation. Who's on the bridge of your heart? And that comes to life wherever we go. We place different things there as the commanders of our bridge, our circumstances, our feelings, ourselves, others. The reason worship doesn't work for so many of us is because we show up with wrong people on the bridge of our heart. No wonder we don't want to have an outward expression of this inward condition because the inward condition is being directed by the wrong commander of the ship. Worship isn't something that we do. Worship is who we are. We're created for worship. And sometimes our affection, the direction of our affection, the thing that we're pushing towards, the thing that we're paying attention to the most can get completely out of whack even when we go into the right spaces. Where we walk into the right space, doing the right thing, with the right people, but our heart is not in the right direction. And I'm not just speaking to be angry at you. I'm speaking because this is what I do so often and I have done over the course of my life. There was, there was a, this is like an embarrassing story, but it's a good story, so I'm going to tell it. So there's a, there's a night in Calgary called Tehila, and they do worship on Monday nights. And I had just broken up with the girl. And because I was in a church environment, instead of going out to the club with the boys, we went to a worship night with the boys. So, uh, <laughs> so bad. So bad. I'm not advocating for that one bit. Not one bit. I'm saying this was bad. <laughs> but we show up that night. <laughs> we show up that night, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to just, like, see if there's single girls in the room. I'm going to show them how worshipful I am. <laughs> so I had the buddy, like, picked out the spot. He's like, yeah, yeah, all the girls that kind of sit in this area. Like, I, you have to, like, you're a Christian wingman, right? They're like, <laughs> it's so bad. And then we, we took up our spots and, and we're worshiping. And I'm like, I'm going to worship harder than ever. I'm going to pull, pull up my best hand positions. <laughs> And like, we worship through the, the service, and, and I'm into it, and it's great. And, and then it ends, and then the sermon starts, and I fall asleep. <laughs> I, I'm like, I have no desire to be here right now <laughs> other than simply see if I can catch a honey's eye. That's about it. And so the service ends, and, uh, and there was like a girl across the room, and she comes across the room. It's like, yeah, caught someone's attention. Caught someone's attention. Awesome, awesome, awesome boys they're like hyping you up in the back right and we're kind of like strutting a little bit waiting wiping the, <laughs> the sleep out of my eyes <laughs> and she comes over and she's like oh I, I noticed that, like this is one of your first times here and I was like yeah she's like what did you think of the service and I was like yeah it was, it was great it was great she's like did you like I thought you were sleeping the whole time <laughs> needless to say I did not go back <laughs> But the direction of our heart's affection, I was in the right place with good people, and there was good things going on there, but my heart's affection was not placing God on the bridge of my heart. It was this deep need to be loved. It was this deep need to be in a relationship. It was this deep need to have my hurt felt in that moment and for someone to make it better just by noticing that I was in the room. We placed the most uncomfortable awful things on the bridges of our ship actually based out of the insecurities and struggles that we face in our life. 
often we think that, oh, I don't want to, I'm not going to place an idol or something that is really evil on the bridge of my ship. Sure, but this is not about placing the wrong things in the, in the place of authority. It's sometimes placing the good things as the ultimate things in your life. If you're simply trying to place the good things as the ultimate things in your life, you will always find yourself lacking because the direction of your affection is not going in the right place. And your worship, in turn, is following that direction. When I place something on the bridge of my ship based out of my insecurity, I'm actually choosing to worship myself. To place myself first. To make myself the most prominent voice and authority in my life. That is then going to dictate my feelings, my emotions, my character, my intellect, my will. All of the outflow of my life will come from that place of insecurity because I've placed it as the authority. I've placed the insecurity on the throne of my heart. Worship is the outward expression of your heart's affection. Who do you have? What do you have on the throne of your heart? Because it's easy for me to come up here and say, I would love for us to be a church that is passionate in worship. That is raising their hands and is singing loud and and is creating this atmosphere that is electric. And and I desire those things in so many ways, but I don't want to manufacture it so that it is disingenuine or, or forced or fake. I want our culture of worship as a community to be a natural outflow of your heart's affection being in the right direction. That when you walk into this space, you know that you have Jesus as the authority in your life, on the throne in your heart. Because the reality is, all of those different outflows, all of those little minions around the bridge of your ship that are doing the different things in your heart, that are causing these outflows in your heart, there are so many different things to manage and only... God who has made you as you are, who has created you with all of those emotions and feelings and and intellect and will. He's given you all of these things. Only he is able to actually carry the weight of that throne. Perhaps you will place things on the throne that make you feel good. But it will compromise your character. Or you'll place something on the throne that maybe is all about building up your character, but man, you are an emotional wreck. That throne is not meant for anyone else, but yet we give a whole variety of areas prominence in that space over and over and over again. It's like we go through these different circumstances and spaces in our life. We go from school to work to church to home, and we've got like a slot machine attached to the throne. And so we pull the slot machine every time, and a different person ends up on the throne. Sure, you show up on a Sunday morning, and you're in it and worship, and you're engaged, and worship is awesome. And it's because you got Jesus on the throne in your heart. But the minute you go home, you swap out who's on the throne just so that you can accommodate the space. I love passionate worship, but I would be way more excited about a worship that is persistent and is consistent everywhere we go. 
Because then worship is more than simply an action or a song or, or a feeling. Then worship is the outflow of a life that is committed to discovering who Jesus is and what that could mean for your story and the stories around you. Worship is our life then. What would happen if worship was persistent and consistent and not simply one passionate moment a week that we hope fills us up for the remaining days? How would that shift the way you think, the way you interact if you simply paid attention to whom you have on the throne of your heart? I think one of the things that often takes the throne, and this is calling out myself and other people in this room, is often our preference in spaces of worship, takes the throne of our heart. That we've had previous experiences where we've experienced, like, God move in our space. We've had an encounter with God, and we have then said that I am going to only experience God when this song is played, the lights look like this, this person is beside me, and the air smells like lavender. But this is what we do where we have a feeling in a moment or an experience that was meaningful. And then therefore we quantify worship or an experience with God to be isolated to that space. And we put our preference on the throne of our hearts. Therefore we can't even experience anything that's meaningful in the moment because we've isolated God to simply being in the little box that we've placed him. And we've even turned preference into a prophet into our lives. A prophet that's saying, this is where you're going to see God. This is where you're going to experience him. This is where you're going to see good things happen in your life. And we've turned our preference into this voice in the desert calling us to experience God. And we are listening to the voice of our preference, the voice of ourselves, instead of the voice of God. If God is simply limited to your mental capacity, to, you, to exactly what you've experienced or what you believe is exactly perfect for you, then that is not God you are. You need to pay attention to whom is on your throne. If you want worship to be more than a momentary experience in a week. If you want it to be the outflow of your heart's affection, where is your heart's affection being directed? Can we shelve our preference? Can you walk into any space at any time? Don't get me wrong. I understand there are songs that I like more than others. There are environments that I like more than others. But in reality, every single time a worship experience happens in this kind of space... It is not their responsibility for me to worship God. The challenge is to you. Can we put our preferences aside, our insecurities aside, our, our thoughts about what other people think about us aside, and just focus on our heart's affection being in the right direction? If we want to see a community that is passionate about worship, that is where it's going to start. I believe that every single person here has the opportunity to experience God in a new way when we make the decision to give him the throne of our heart. To not simply take the platitudes and the paradigms of Jesus and apply it to making ourselves feel better or, or make our character stronger. Or, or to, to 
be a little bit wiser and have more intellect. All of those things are given to us, but that is not the desire of Jesus. He does not want to simply, he does not want to simply make your life better. He wants to make your whole life new. He wants to transform you from the inside out. But will you let him in? It's so easy to just simply say, Jesus, I accept you into my life and uh, I want you to be my savior. And it's so much more difficult and so much different to actually allow him to take that place of authority. An essential of our life is worship. Because you are always worshiping something. There's a, I don't remember if it was a recent episode. I know that Magic School Bus just kind of came out again on Netflix. Just came on. Yeah, yeah. There you go. All the teachers were like, yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I remember there was this episode where uh, the ginger in the class, no, Arnold, <laughs> he, uh, he was pounding these like carrot flavored chips or something like that. And then like early in the episode, he shows up to class and, and his skin is completely orange. And the whole, whole it's a, actually like a scientific fact. If you eat too much of one thing, you can actually have that impact your, your biology. It can actually impact it along that way. But it, the, the, the statement that they use is, you are what you eat. And, and I think that's the same for us in our lives, that you are what you worship. If you are worshiping your insecurity, you are insecure. If you are worshiping your shame by putting it on the throne of your heart, you are choosing to make yourself full of shame. If you are worshiping your own strength and your own achievements, then you are your strength and your achievements. And what happens when they're gone? You are what you eat and you are what you worship. The throne of our heart indicates so much about the outflow of our life. And there's different things we put on there. Our ambition, our friendships, our family, our preference, our shame, our worry. And we can worship the wrong things even if they're good things. But you can't experience the grace of God without showing gratitude in some form or fashion. So when we actually have our direction in of our affection in the right, right place. Then gratitude and response and, and the, the physical nature of worship will come naturally. There's this, this beautiful quote. It says, the heart of worship is our heart delighting in Jesus and expressing praise to him for the true things that the Bible teaches us about him. Who he is and all that he has done for us. It is then all about Jesus. It involves us, but we're at the periphery, and Jesus is at the center. And what, the, what Jesus wants are servants whose words and actions evidence the true state of their hearts. The Bible spends so much time talking about our hearts because your heart matters. And he desires authentic heart 
devotion, and reverence, not mere outward conformity to religious norms. And worship has such a wide, span, uh, wide array to it. It can be confession, it can be lament, it can be praise, thanksgiving, adoration. It can be your workplace. It can be a moment that you take every day just to calm your thoughts. It's, it's any moment, any time that you're actually choosing to give Jesus the throne of your heart. You're always offering something of yourself to something or someone in your life as a form of worship. And I will say, I will say that a uh, Sunday morning gathering where music is played is wonderful. Because I think music is a, is a universal language. Like we, we don't really know what some Spanish rappers say, but we listen to the songs. And it gets us excited. And we get the feeling of it. <laughs> and sometimes we feel awful after finding out what they're actually saying. <laughs> but music is this universal language that speaks to, to every single person in the room in a different way. It's beautiful in how it touches hearts often right where we need it to be touched. And it's even more beautiful when we do it in the sense of community. I think that a large part of who we are as, as humans and as Christians is that we're invited to do life in community, to, do, to pray in community, to, to laugh in community, to eat in community, and to worship in community. To, to, to go through those, those sequences of life together and to, discovering, and, and to discover that life is better done together in the midst of community. Where worship is an integral part of all that we do. But when we come together, there's something else that we can then grab a hold of. That you can lean on the person beside you even though you aren't feeling like worshiping. That you can lean into the worship leader who's pushing you forward and desiring for you to experience the presence of God. Even though your week might not have shown it all the way through. But community is such a vital element of all that we are. I, I know for us as City Collective, we, we so value the idea of community and all that community brings to our lives, to my lives. When I think about my story, I did not have a dramatic moment in a worship service. I did not have a moment where I was struck down by the presence of God, fell on my back and raised my hand while falling down. I didn't do anything like that. I, I so believe that I discovered Jesus in the context of community. When I came around like-minded individuals, when I came around individuals who were willing to push me and to lead me forward as, as mentors and as partners in what life was going to look like, I discovered Jesus in the context of community and I so desire that for us at City Collective. That, that's part of our experience here on Sunday mornings in worship and after service and in meals that we share. But it's also during the week where we have community groups that are meeting across the Langley and Surrey area that we get a chance to gather and have real conversations around difficult topics or having open spaces where we can bring our real struggles of life. And be supported and, and have our thoughts heard and, and not be... Not be judged for the realness of life, but be invited to actually share it together. It's one of the most beautiful things that we're given is in our community groups. That's why we so value them. It's, it's one of the things I would invite every single one of you here to find one that works for you. 
I guarantee you that when you find community that you are willing to commit to and to be a part of, it will transform your life. It will change the trajectory of your weeks. And when we gather here on a Sunday morning, this will simply be an outflow of all that you've been experiencing in the week. And it will challenge you and it will, it will draw you closer together. And then when we worship together in community, it will be beautiful. But it all starts with our heart's affection. Where do we choose to direct it? And only God can actually handle the throne of our heart. So will we give it to him? Will we allow him to take control of our lives and own the throne of our heart? And then operate from worshiping in this place of spirit and in truth, giving the true version of ourselves and tapping into the spirit that God freely gives to us. I want you to experience the presence of God just like I so desire for myself. I want you to know what that would look like in your everyday experience. Not isolated to these moments when we're talking together. But in every moment, when you go to work, when you wake up in the morning, when you share a meal, what would happen to our experience of life if we actually paid attention to where our heart's affection was going? Worship is God's invitation to us to meet with him. We talked about at the very beginning uh, how words have, have double meaning. Whether it was bound, I, I'm, I'm restrained by something, or bound and I'm onward to something. And I love that the idea of worship and the action of worship has, has a double meaning that can kind of be the opposite. And the action of worship where we raise our hands and we, we celebrate the goodness of God is, is one of victory and both one of surrender. An action that means both things, but both things are so true in how we need both of them to work together. That I need to surrender myself to experience the victory that I need in my life. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so grateful for the sense in this place that you're working in and through our hearts. That you invite us to build a relationship with you, to come to know you, to come to be with you. And that worship is one of those beautiful invitations, those essentials of our, of our lives, that we're always worshiping something. So I pray for every single person in this room that there is an honest evaluation, an honest intentionality given to where our affection is being shown. It can often be to really good things, but those don't sustain us. It can be to, to past experiences or to internal struggles, and, and we know that those only cripple us. So right here, right now, I just invite you to take an inventory of your heart right now. Who's sitting on your throne? What's sitting on your throne? What is consuming your mind and your being and your emotions and your feelings? And if it isn't, if it isn't this relationship that you have with a living God, I would invite you to make that change. And it might be scary to, to surrender 
your authority and your, your independence in some ways to give it to Jesus in this moment, to let him take control of whatever your heart is struggling through. But the promise of his word is that he gives us everything above and beyond what we could ever imagine. Joy and peace, hope and healing, reconciliation and purpose. Thank you that our worship to you is heard. It is met with immense love. And that it doesn't end simply here on a Sunday morning. May it be essential in each of our stories. May you pay attention to your throne. And may you decide today where your heart's affection is going. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. Please subscribe to stay up to date with every weekly message. For more information on City Collective, please visit www.citycollective.com. Or if you're in the greater Vancouver area, come visit us for a Sunday. You can find more about our church and how you can get involved with what God is doing in the Lower Mainland. Have a great day.